Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Amen, 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 amen. You may take your seats in the house of the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and say you're a child of God. Out of God, man. Amen. Um, just a couple things before we get into the word today. Um, first things first, just um, let you know if you, you haven't heard um, that we just began another membership cycle uh, at the Ave. And so um, we, had, we had breakfast this morning and um, um, you know, got to know a little bit about the origin story of the Ave and, and kind of where things are headed. And so um, it's not too late if you want in on that. Um, would you email info at the avcc.org and uh, we can uh, figure out how to catch you up and get you at the right places um, so that um, if you're ready to explore, so there's no expectation that you will join this church if you go through those courses. But um, if you're ready to start taking a more in-depth look at what membership at the Ave looks like and what we're about, um, man, please feel free to em- uh, email info at the avcc.org and uh, let us know and we'll, we'll, we'll get you plugged in. Um, lastly, um, Cope mentioned that we are having, uh, you know, I-, I think I got a name. I think I'm branding something. Everybody say encounter. Ooh. Uh, you know, quarterly, or, or somewhere about, um, you know, we kind of have these prayer services or worship services where we just come together and it's like, man, it, it takes a little bit of a different shape than normal Sunday worship. We just, all we want to do is really just get in God's face and then pray for each other, love on each other, encourage one another um, in a little bit more of a, a free-flowing kind of uh, environment. And it's a, a perfect environment. Think what we do after preaching, think what we do after service, like just expand it um, and, and just really have an opportunity to focus in and minister and to love on one another. Um, and so uh, back to school on, on the 16th, we're just going to have one of those nights where we just, man, we just want to love on parents, students, teachers, staff, because um, we know that you're getting ready to gear up for a grind. Um, and some of y'all are carrying a lot of trauma from last year or your previous three years into this upcoming year. Uh, what better way to spend your time than with your other brothers and sisters in the Lord? And we beating things up in the spirit for you and praying over you, God's blessings, um, showering you and worship, worshiping over you with those. And so um, this is not just for the Av. If you know any parent, teacher, or student that would just benefit from being in a loving environment uh, where they can worship, um, be surrounded by people who love our King, um, then you, 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 you tell them about August 16th, and we'd love to have them uh, there with us. Sounds good? Um, I fulfill the stereotype because I love me some watermelon. So this black man is not offended if you bring me a watermelon. I had to come to, I had to, come to grips with that too, you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, do I really like watermelon? No, I love watermelon, brother. I love watermelon. And so, um, anyway, my, I told Gina was at the grocery store, and uh, I was like, babe, can you pick up a watermelon? And uh, she's like, okay. 
and she came home. And you know, sometimes watermelon purchasing is a crapshoot. You know, you never really know. It's like, uh, and so uh, um, she brought it home, and I started cutting into that sucker, dicing, slicing, doo 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 doo. And uh, you know, I don't even needed to get in the refrigerator to really partake. Sometimes I'm just like, ooh, you know, the juice on your finger. I just let me get that little sliver right there. <laughs> Boom. So I taste. I said, oh, oh yes, sir. Oh yes, sir. We in business. And then Gina was like, oh, Tim, Luke picked that. I was like, now say what? I said, my boy Luke, I said, you did something, boy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Which then kind of threw me back to Mobile, Alabama, circa 92, 93, um, being in the ungodly Mobile, Alabama heat, that kind of heat that make you want to give your life to Jesus. Amen, somebody. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Getting in the car, oh, God, I thank you. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. That kind of heat. But uh, so we would be in there, and that was like a whole, you know, rite of passage. That was like a whole thing. You know, my, my, my God bless my dear Lula May Curry and her walker. You know what I'm saying? We'd be walking down the, the fruit aisle. Pause. Come here, boy, let me show you how to pick this watermelon. And then we would proceed to start thumping watermelon. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Boom, boom. And we listening to sounds. Um, it takes a little skill. We have to train you how to know what you're looking for. Um, in August, I'm, I'm going to start doing uh, just four weeks on leadership, biblical leadership at the avenue. And um, that should coincide with the timing of the nominations of new officers. Um, and so I just want to kind of lay before you the kind of things that you should be looking for. What you thumping at? Boop, 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 right? Um, because we can't just assume, um, especially uh, there are, hey, there are certain uh, characteristics in secular leaders that are celebrated in Christendom. Sometimes it is true. We, we want honest leaders in secular society. We want honest leaders inside of the body of Christ. And then sometimes those things differentiate. Sometimes they pull at each other. And so we never want to just assume that you understand what we're talking about when we say we need leaders here. Um, and so we'll spend some time every year just kind of refreshing you on certain things and highlighting certain virtues. And today we want to talk about humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. I want to talk to you really about humble shepherds. I want to talk to you about a humble chief shepherd. And I want to talk to you about humble sheep. How about that? That worked real well for a little three-point Presbyterian sermon. Yeah, come on. I want to talk to you today about humble shepherds. I want to talk to you about a humble chief shepherd. And I want to talk to you about humble sheep, right? First Peter is a book. It's not... Uh, anybody know what kind of book it is? It's in the Old Testament or the New Testament? There you go. There you go. First uh, Peter was written by Paul, right? It's one of his 13 epistles, correct? Oh, y'all got a little confused. You were like, okay, wait. I'm going to wait to see if somebody says something first, and then I'm going to kind of slow down, right? No, First Peter is written by Peter, so it's not a Pauline apostle. It's written by Peter. Peter, the former disciple, right? This is one of his writings, right? Uh, this is where we will dwell today is the conclusion of his first letter, right, in the fifth chapter. Um, and he's going to start off by kind of qualifying himself um, 
let's, let's go back to that. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And so Peter qualifies himself by saying, hey, bro, I'm writing specifically, I've, I've done four chapters, or y'all know chapters and verses were added later, but I'm giving you all the front of this later. As I come to my conclusion, I want to specifically speak to the elders here at this church, of which I am a fellow elder. Not necessarily at this church, but he is looked upon as an elder. And I'm also a witness of Christ's sufferings. And everybody say suffering. As we paint the picture for this letter, I got to let you know that this is a, a big aspect of this letter, suffering. And Peter says, I'm a witness to Christ's suffering, right? First of all, I am one who should have the apostolic mantle placed on me because I walked and talked with Christ. I witnessed those sufferings. But he's also connecting Christ's suffering with their suffering, and we'll see that more later. But I'm also someone who will share in the glory that is to be revealed. I wish some man don't, don't zoom past it. Somebody need, what, what a highlighter ministry. Do we got anybody who still believe in bringing highlighters to church? Y'all don't, y'all don't do that no more? Well, get your picture. Come on, Becky. Hey, come on with it. You better do it. Shing, 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 shing. Yeah, girl, you better get that Sharpie out and start getting with it. <laughs> I want y'all just to maybe... If you don't move too fast, just maybe just highlight those three modifiers or those three qualifiers, however you grammatically would want to call them. He says, I'm a fellow elder, I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings, and I'm somebody who's going to share in the glory that is to be revealed. Let's talk a little bit about 1 Peter uh, some more. We believe Peter's in Rome. We believe he's writing this letter, and it's going to be circulated amongst a lot of churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is for us modern-day Turkey. So this letter, who we believe Sylvanus was described, Peter's kind of, you know, downloading it to Sylvanus. Sylvanus is writing it down. He's going to take this letter, and there's going to be a bunch of churches in the province of uh, Asia Minor that's going to read this letter in front of their congregation right? It's a bunch of churches. It's not just going to one place, right? And these people who are in the province of, of Asia Minor, they are experiencing hostility by both Jews and Greeks, leadership top-down. This is a time of persecution for the audience um, that Peter is addressing. These sweet people are suffering. Everybody say suffering. This is hard. They are being persecuted, they're being belittled, demeaned. This is a time where suffering Jesus is absolutely probably one of the most difficult things that anybody in their society could have been doing. There was a cost. And so what then or how does Peter choose to encourage them in the final throes of this letter? He speaks specifically to the leaders. The people are suffering. He speaks to the leaders. God's people are going through it. He speaks to those who are responsible for caring for them. What does he say? Verse 2, he says, Elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing 
as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. When we talk about the word elder, it is one of the most common words used for leadership in the New Testament. And when we see the word elder, we also need to think this too. It's not specific to Christianity. Though there's a whole bunch of people in the ancient Near East that use words or the idea of elder and alderman, all those kind of things, like these older people who kind of are responsible for being the guard guardians and the gatekeepers and the temple setters uh, for whichever tribe or group they're affiliated with. This is not, um, this is not, this is Judaism. Use this kind of same model, leadership structure, right, of elders. Um, and so Christianity, at least the first century church, just adopted that same model that we would have found in Judaism, that there would be elders who were responsible for the care of the church. But this particular passage really lent itself to being easy to preach because it just gives us a list Right, we got 1 Timothy 3, we got Titus, we got these other areas where we kind of see the qualifications uh, for what officers in God's church should be, elders and deacons. When we say officers at the avenue, we mean elders and deacons. But this one is also a very good list too. I want to give you six things that we kind of pick up, qualifications that we think elders are responsible to be doing. Shep they're to be shepherds, they're to be willing, they're not to seek dishonest gain. They're to be eager. They're not to be domineering, and they are to be examples. They're to be shepherds. They're to be willing. They're not to seek dishonest gain. They're to be eager, not domineering, and they're to be the examples. Let's talk about shepherds real quick. A shepherd is one that is responsible to guide and to help and to guide and to take care of. Poimano is this idea of shepherding. And then there's literally like what it means to shepherd and to carry that weird looking stick with the hook and grab people and prod them and guide them, right? There's that. But then there's this figurative definition that is being used towards God's church, which is a popular motif throughout all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, that God's leaders are to be shepherds. People who guide, people who care, and people who guard. If you don't know anything else about what elders are supposed to be doing or what God's leaders are supposed to be doing, they're supposed to be guiding God's people, they're supposed to be caring for God's people, and they're supposed to be keeping the evil things away from God's people. Guiding, caring, guarding. They're to be willing. They're to be willing. This is interesting. These elders who were usually older Christians, they were not supposed to, specifically we see that, they are not supposed to fulfill this role out of obligation. Everybody say, no obligation. There is nobody who should be a leader in God's house. Nobody who should be a leader, an officer, an elder, a deacon in God's house who is, being do, who's, who is doing it because they're being told to do it. It should all be of their own free will and their own volition, own accord. Let me just tell you how sometimes this plays out. Some people think, oh, well, you know what? Maybe it's just time for such and such to be, the, the, you know, an elder. Absolutely not. 
We rebuke that in the name of Jesus. It ain't time for nobody to be no elder. We ain't on no rotations. It's not time for you to be a deacon. We are not on a rotation. It's got to be of your own accord. You know, Gina and I, you know, we got kids. We're in that stage of life. We got kids going here and there. They're all involved. They're all extracurriculars. And then, you know, it's that dreaded time where your name is on the list for August 7th for a snack day. And those are the things that you have to do out of obligation. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Elementary school moms and teachers, it's like, it's your day. Oh, God, I got to run to Sam's. Tim! (laughs) You'll get that on the way home. Sometimes those things are just set up and just mandatory, and those are things that we have to do, and we just do them. Nobody should be a leader in God's house who is not doing it of their own accord. And we will not set a culture and environment where we look at people and we say, oh, bro, we need you. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Do y'all believe that God has enough grace in this house that even if it looks like we might be smaller in number on leaders, he's got sufficient enough grace to cause those leaders to be effective? We okay. We have what we need. And when the timing is right and the person is willing, that's when they ready. Not before, not less. Not seeking dishonest gain. This kind of carries this idea of being shamefully greedy for material gain or profit. You see it, it's repeated in 1 Timothy 3.8. It's repeated in Titus 1. It's always the connotation, every time you see this in, in any translation, it's always kind of tied to monetary gain. And guess what? In the life of a church, you got leaders who, guess what? They are usually, at the end of the day, going to have to be responsible for the church's resources. And you don't want people, greedy people, handling the church money. Do you? Okay, maybe I'm preaching to the wrong crowd. Let me just tell you three different profiles of people who we don't really want handling the church money. First of all, let me do the obvious one. We just want people who are just, who don't demonstrate wisdom in finances. It's probably... Somebody we don't want handling the church's money. It's like, man, y'all just took the trip, and you just did that, and then you don't have no money for your gas? Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Well, maybe you shouldn't handle our money. It's okay. We love you, brother. We love you, sister. You know what I'm saying? Your nails are so tight. You know what I'm saying? But I'm sorry. You can't go with me to Central Barbecue. You just paid for Central Barbecue on your nails, so we, we got to work out that. We got to work that out. You know what I'm saying? We can help you out. We want people who demonstrate that they're wise with their resources. We don't want, hey, baby. What? India, you better stop it, girl. We don't want greedy people because they can always be bought. Greedy people always looking opportunistic, looking for things that uh, better position them. But greedy people aren't always having the kingdom of God as the first priority. And so, guess what? Some people get into churches and they handle the church's money the same way they handle their money, opportunistically with greed, and they don't matter who they step on to get what they want. We don't want them people handling our money. 
Bruh, if, if getting where we want to go is going to cause other people to suffer, it's okay. We okay. Hey, man, you got to be a shrewd businessman. Uh, 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 not in the kingdom of God. We actually like our reputation more than we like getting what we want. Amen, somebody? If we got to lie, hook, and crook, and evade, and cut corners to get to the things we need, it's okay. We'll wait. We all right. Lastly, you don't want people spending and handling the church's resources who do not have faith. My mentor taught me something that will stick with me for the rest of our lives, my life. We want to absolutely be frugal and wise. We want to be wise with the resources that we have. But he said, Tim, it is an, um, an, an, just an abomination for the church to just be sitting on resources. Why do you think God gave it to you? Or lest we just doing what, the, what my man came and preached about a couple weeks ago with the talents. Oh, God, we're going to take it, and we got it. Brother, if the avenue stands before God, and we come back to God and say, God, we have $5 million saved up. And you got people hungry in your neighborhood. You got people who can't move. That's not why I gave you the resources. Y'all, we are to be conduits. And we're to be listening for God where, where he wants to get the resources to. That's a faith life. They don't teach you that when you get an MBA. They teach you that in the spirit to know when God is saying go and when he's saying stay put. So when we start talking about people who are not after dishonest gain, I just wanted to lump in the rest of the crew who also doesn't need to be managing the church's resources. People who don't demonstrate some degree of wisdom. People who demonstrate that they're more after their own interest than they are the kingdom. And people who are not willing to listen and be moved by faith. Uh, let's move off those people. Let's wait. People who are eager. These are two different Greek words when I was looking at it. Willing and eager seem like the same thing. But I think it's a slightly different take when you're eager. Willing was trying to address that nobody should be an officer at your church because they're being forced or they're under compulsion. But eager is, is the idea of intense desire. I want to lead God's people. I want to care for God's people. Acts 20, 24 is one of my pastoral verses where God says, hey, take care of the flock, which I purchased with my own blood. It, it echoes. It's like that Cain and Abel scripture where the blood is echoing off the ground. It's like, man, I wake up and I'm thinking about, man, I have to care for these people that he went to the cross for. Nobody's making me to do that under compulsion. I want to do that. I'm eager to do that. I'm trying to figure out how to, it don't matter how many times I ram my head into the ground. And yes, we can talk all day about self-care, and we can talk all day about boundaries, and y'all can pray for me, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to wake up and keep doing the same thing because I love it. I want to care for his people. 
And we ought not find nobody who don't want to burn and care for the people who he's purchased with his own blood. And it is a tough call. When you talk about being eager, I'm reading this book by John Piper. It says that we are not professionals. It just tries to capture this idea that being a leader in God's house is not something that you inherently go and learn how to do, right? You can train and develop skills, but at the end of the day, it's a disposition. He goes on to say, is there professional praying? Is there professional trusting in God's promises? Is there professional weeping over souls? Is there professional musing on the depths of revelation? Is there professional rejoicing in truth? Professional praising God's name? Professional treasuring the riches of Christ? Professional walking by the Spirit? Is there professional exercising of spiritual gifts? Is there professional dealing with demons? Is there professional pleading with backsiders? Is there professional perseverance in hard marriages? Is there professional playing with children? Is there professional courage in the face of persecution? Is there professional patience with everyone? What seminary do you go to to learn patience? And where are the men and women who are eager? They know the cost and still would sign up for it. It's a hard call to sit and keep pleading with people to hold on and not give up. To pray with people for months who are contemplating taking their own life. It's a hard task to sit in front of marriages who you might believe more about their marriage than any one of the people in it. It's a hard and weary and burdensome call, but I know there are some of y'all that God is exciting and saying, I want that. Let me get that. Because it's the same thing as Isaiah 6. Who will go for us? If there's nobody running out ahead of God's people, who's going to do it? Who's going to get their eyes off their issues just to run a little bit further ahead of the other people in this room? And to keep tethering them back to truth. God's got it. God's got it. We can trust him. He's able. We can do it. There's sufficient grace. Who's going to do it? And I know you got your thing going on. But I just believe in the God who is able. If you seek ye first the things of God, he's able to get all the things you need to it. How many of y'all have found that out? That if you make his pursuit first, he will take care of your stuff. I don't even, I don't even know how God is healing my marriage, but as I'm sowing into other people, he keeps breathing life into mine. How? I don't know. I don't ask no questions. We're the eager people. Then he says you're to be examples. He said, no, not domineering. We'll talk more about this on Serve Sunday. But this is the idea of not desiring to rule over people. Some people want to be leaders in God's house just because they have some subordinates. That's not why you do it here, cuz. Just because you are not in charge of your department at your company don't mean you can come in here and start dominating people in here. That is not biblical leadership. 
And sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, I'm praying for some of y'all as you hear this message because you have so much trauma from wherever you've come from just about leadership in general. You've experienced what people call heavy shepherding, where people want to be involved in every facet of your life, what you drink, what you wear, what you drive, what time you go, when you go. Uh-uh, we're not interested in that. There's an overall trajectory that we're trying to get you to and keep pointing you towards. But I'm not preaching this message because we are doing it right. I'm sure if all you, it would take was 30 seconds to find out where the holes are in our shepherding here at the avenue. I'm just preaching this so you can see what we are always putting before us, what we are reaching for, what we are asking by God's grace to make us men and women who live up to these charges. And one of those things is, I promise you, as long as I'm the pastor here, I will be making sure that people are not trying to dominate your life. That's not what biblical leadership is. There to be examples. I think this is the most important one. Write it down, circle it, underline it, get Becky's highlighter. Let's get it. You are supposed to be, if you are a leader, you are supposed to be a representative of a form or a pattern. You're supposed to be something that other people imitate. At the end of the day, we actually want to put people before you that you end up becoming more like the people we put before you, literally. Does your lifestyle have anything, maybe not just anything, does it have the Christ-like characteristics that we want to be replicated throughout this church body? You have to ask yourself, some of y'all are like, well, what, what is Christ like? Let's get into it. We just talked about humble shepherds. Let's talk about the humble chief shepherd. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I love this. How do you encourage people who are facing persecution who probably have toxic leadership, who are in probably the worst seasons of your life. Peter chooses this. He always seems to want to point them towards the future hope and the return of Jesus. He's always pointing them towards something when God returns and what happens when God returns. I love that in the uh, beginning of First Peter, that beautiful verse, we sang it, that you were born again into a living hope. He's always putting before, especially in this chapter, that because of uh, that you have died with Christ and you've been born again, that you have these precious promises that have been secured for you, and one day you will see them fully and completely. Hold on. Listen, let me, let me just tell you, the New Testament writers, they tried and true. You don't have to reinvent things. Just stick with them. I know we are in a literal age. We are in an age of people who cannot delay their gratification and that if it's not working out right now, they're on to the next thing. Tell me the next method. But if you don't keep pointing people to their future hope, you are breaking with the tradition of Scripture. 
And I know people don't want to hear that when they hurting, when the money is funny and the marriage is this and all things are breaking apart in their life and they're suffering. I know that they want quick solutions and quick fixes, but if you are not pointing them to all the things that are true for them in Christ Jesus and that will be fully complete one day in glory, you're breaking with the tradition of Scripture. Point them to the future hope, yo. One day, one day. We ought to do it more, y'all. We got to keep wetting our appetite for the res- for the for glorification when it's finally and fully one day complete. Everybody say one day. You want to know why sometimes I think we frustrate other Christians? It's because we start promising things that ain't true. We try to encourage people and it's like, hey, well, you know what? Next year, next week, and don't worry about it. It's a guy. And nowhere, when you go to that college, you're going to meet that person. You don't know any of that. It ain't in the Bible. We don't know it to be true. And you know what you get mousy about? You real confident with generic, hollow encouragement, and you get real mousy about one day. And I've had people tell me, PT, don't mind want to hear about one day when Jesus come back. Well, what else you want me to tell you, brother? I can't, I can't tell you that this going to turn around next week. I can't tell you that. I know that's what you want to hear. Roman Christians, they're going to stop persecuting y'all next week. I know that's what you want to hear, but I don't know that to be true. But I do know what is true. One day. When the chief shepherd appears. Can I tell you about that chief shepherd? Come on, man. He is the standard setter of shepherding, right? We are the under shepherd. I love Peter saying, but he's the chief shepherd. He's that good shepherd we learn, learn about in John 10 who lays down his life for his sheep. Hebrews 13, 20 refers to him as the great shepherd of sheep. And this is the same guy writing this. It's the same guy who when Jesus was, it was all said and done and he's getting ready to go. He's sitting down and he's sharing that last meal on the little beach set head or the, or the bank with Peter. And he said, feed my sheep. I think Peter understands and he gets it. He gets it. That we are to be examples of the chief shepherd. We're supposed to be examples of the chief shepherd, and we're supposed to set examples for his sheep. And I love this. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let me just give you three scriptures. Hopefully it blesses your whole entire week. We cannot. This is why we got to point people towards the future. It's because in the future, when, when daddy come back, he got some gifts with him. We need to have a more robust theology of rewards. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, right? And it's not of works lest any man boast. But there are rewards for those who will remain faithful to our king. And it keeps getting repeated. This verse, when the chief shepherd appears, if y'all would be faithful, not to be dishonest in your game, not to be, uh, um, uh, to be willing, to be eager, um, to be humble. Don't worry, brothers, you'll receive, a, a, receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. Oh, but 
believers, if you endure in Christ and stay faithful, you will get a crown that lasts forever. James says, blessed is the one who per perseveres under trials because having stood the test, that person, guess what, will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 2 Timothy 4, 8, from now on there is laid up for me a what? A crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but all of the people who craved his appearing. Everybody say rewards. When the chief shepherd comes back, there will be rewards for the leaders who were willing to go against the grain of all other models that, of leadership that are not based on Christ. But then he closes the letter, I mean, this first portion. He says to the covenant family, not to the leaders. He says to the covenant family, I want you to do something too. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to elders. Uh-oh. Everybody say, uh-oh. We don't like submit. We could do a whole... We could do a whole sermon series on submission. But nobody celebrates submission anymore in our society. But you young guns in here, those of you who are younger in the faith, God has prescribed for you a way of life and a precious gift for you if you would take heed to it, to submit to your spiritual leadership. That's a blessing to you. And guess what? We seem to repel it only in Christendom. Because guess what? Any culture who would pay somebody to tell them what to eat, you believe in submission. Any culture who would pay somebody thousands of dollars to tell me, hold on, am I holding it right? Do I, like this, like this. Okay, you believe in submission. You believe in placing yourself under the authority of people. Oh, but there seems to be something really tricky happening in churches. So you enter into the church with a working understanding that nobody going to tell you what to do. Those of y'all who, who know me and are close with me, one of the things I have observed over five years is that, you know what, I'm the dude who speaks to some of y'all. I'm not all of your pastors, and I know that. I know that. I have no spiritual authority over your life. I speak to you, hug you, kiss you. But the one who guides, directs, cares, that's somebody else, but it ain't me. Some of y'all already came in this room knowing I'm here to get intellectually stimulated. I'm here for the community. The guiding, oh no. Some of that's from trauma because you've had people abuse spiritual leadership in your life. Some of that is just from what you think you've heard. Some of that is just whatever it is. But what I want to hearken you back to is that the principle of eldering is not man-made. This is profoundly spiritual. That God is raising up people who share his qualities to 
help guide you and care for you and guard you from the evil things in your world. Why would you not take advantage of it? Don't miss out on it. Some of y'all are like, well, I don't know if I am or not. Email me, and we can have a really good conversation. Not me pounding to you, but some of y'all don't even know probably what does that even look like to delegate and to deploy or to deputize people to be elders and shepherds in my life. Let us help you. I I got my own stuff going on. I am not there for minute-by-minute navigation of your life. Let me tell you, that's not what eldering looks like. That's not what shepherding looks like. But there is some things, there are things that there have been people who have been strategically placed in your world that you would submit to, not just catch a tweet from, but actually, hey, help me. I don't know it all. Help me. When's the last time? Let's pause. When's the last time you've named someone in a spiritual authoritative position in your life? That is my leader. That is my deacon. That is my elder. That is my pastor. And they have spiritual authority in my life. When's the last time you said anything remotely close to that? And when is the last time you accessed any of that? Hey, I'm struggling. Can you? Hey, I I did this. I I need help. I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need care. When's the last time? That's what those people are there for. Elders and church leaders are not a nonprofit board. That's not what they're there for. I know I'm preaching lights and walls. They're guiding, caring, and guarding God's flock. But those people are not in position just to figure out how to make decisions about organization. They're primarily there for you. Will you use them? He says, in the same way, younger people submit yourself to the elders. But here's the thing. What's the next word, y'all? All right. Verse 5, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. What's the next word? All right. He says, in the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. What's the next word? All right. One more time. Maybe let me hear you. In the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. What's the next word? All. This is the funny thing. When I sit down with young couples and we start talking about submission and marriage and we go to Ephesians 5, everybody's like, oh, man, the wife got to submit to the husband. And then it's like, then you go down and you see, no, you submit to one another. You submit to one another. Oh, so the elders, y'all submit to the people? Yes. Well, people, we supposed to just submit to the elders? Oh, yes. All of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because here is the working principle in all of Christianity. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. This is the, one of the most profound working principles in all Christianity. God stands against the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. It's repeated in James 4 and 6. The term humility expresses this quality that stands in contrast to pride or arrogance. Anytime you think about, I deserve to be here, I'm t- right, that's, uh-uh, humility is not that. 
and Christians are to act with humility. Why? Because just because God said so? No, not just because God said so, but because God did so. He says in two, uh, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Nobody should be leading God's people if they don't value the people they're serving more than themselves. Because guess what? If they do that, then they are being the sixth quality of leadership. They're being an example, and they're discipling other people in how to care less about themselves and more about the people they're serving. And it just keeps replenishing itself. It keeps replenishing itself. And where does it come from? It comes from the chief shepherd who did not consider his position something to hold on to, but because he valued our life in him more than he valued his life in himself. He said, I will come and die on their behalf. Humble shepherds learn from the humble chief shepherd, and they disciple the flock in how to be humble because the prevailing, Christ, the prevailing principle of Christianity is that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. You, that's him, you're making that up. No. He says, hey, you remember that? He's sitting with the disciples. He's like, hey, unless you come in like this little child who needs everything and humility, you can't even get into my kingdom. So if you have to enter into the kingdom in humility, then you know humility is going to be one of the prevailing principles here. What would it look like for society who the hot topic in our world right now is just abuse of leadership? Whether some of y'all in this room have been abused by bosses who have domineered you and crushed your dreams and vision. Some of you in here have been dominated by people who make it hard for you to want to walk into their spaces because they have taken the power and the authority they have and they have sucked the life out of you. Some of you are in this room and you have been in places where you've been abused by men or women in power and they've used that for their own dishonest gain, whether monetarily or sexually. Some of y'all are in this room because you have been abused by power. What would it look like for a world who the conversation of of power and the abuse of it is, is in full display, what would it look like for that world to encounter true, biblical, humble leadership? We're, we're moving into Friday night lights. And uh, <laughs> my boy had a little, nice little run and uh, got on the outside and everybody was really excited. And then, boom, it was crash. And, um, you know, everybody was so excited that, you know, they kind of, everybody kind of stayed excited. And a couple people tried to yank him back up. He wouldn't get up. So I'm just sitting there. I'm just kind of watching. I didn't say anything. And they started moving on. Then I heard, ah! And I heard the little scream. I said, uh-oh, okay. So I'm just sitting there. I'm a weird dad, so don't judge me. Some of y'all older ones, you can come talk to me about it later. And I started getting texts from the other parents, like, hey, man, I see what's going on. My boy tough, though. Ain't nobody running down there until I need to run down there. Okay, so don't text me. Okay, Ralph, we warriors out that thing. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there, and I'm talking about I'm getting blown up. Like, brrr, I'm like, just calm down, people. 
So then I finally, I was like, uh-oh, he ain't moving. So let me go on down there, see what's going on. And you know, you just, you know, you see your, your children, and it is really hard because you see them hurting, and you know you can't do nothing. So you're trying to figure out the things to do. I don't know what to do. I wish Dad could take that pain away. I'm not real sure. But this is like my money video that I like to, to show. I was closing out a youth conference. I just want to give you a picture of what I imagine our chief shepherd being like. This is a video in 1992. Derek Redmond, I believe he's running for Great Britain. Um, he's in the Olympics. I think they're running the 200. I don't know what your idea of what biblical leadership looks like. I can assure you it's not the smartest people it's not the most polished people, but it's the people who would be willing to leave their comfort for your benefit. That's what we aspire to be. But it's not just the value of leadership that we want our leaders to have. It's what we want to continue to cultivate in the whole covenant body. People who would be willing to trade their comfort for their brothers and sisters' advantage. There is nothing more Christ-centered than that statement. Exchanging what I have to be of benefit for you. I want to tell you, some of you all, are the person who would have waved off their daddy. I got it. Some of y'all are still hobbling around. I got it. And maybe the first thing you need to do to be humble today is admit that you don't have it. You don't have it together, brother. You don't have it under control, sister. And that's okay. That's why you have us. If he would not have accepted the support of his dad, he would have not made it around that thing. There's no other way that you're going to make it safely to the finish line without the support of God and his ordained leaders in your life. Whether they're official or unofficial, you need guidance, you need care, and you need to be guarded. Sean's going to come on up. We're going to get ready to come to the Lord's table. As we do that, just pray that you remember what the chief shepherd has already accomplished on your behalf and what he's continued to invite you into.